Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, we're discussing peace journalism. Our guest, Stephen Youngblood, is the founding director of the Center for Global Peace Journalism at Park University in Parkville, Missouri, where he is a communications and peace studies professor. He has organized and taught peace journalism seminars and workshops in 27 countries and territories. Youngblood is a two-time Fulbright Scholar, Moldova 2001, Azerbaijan 2007. He also served as a U.S. State Department Senior Subject Specialist in Ethiopia in 2018. Youngblood is the author of Peace Journalism Principles and Practices and Professor Komagum. He edits the Peace Journalist magazine and writes and produces the Peace Journalism Insights blog. He has been recognized for his contributions to world peace by the U.S. State Department, Rotary International, and the World Forum for Peace, which has named him a Luxembourg Peace Prize Laureate for 2020. Stephen Youngblood, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. It's good to be here. Uh, so many of our listeners, I think, have some idea, and the topic has been touched on on this show, but, but what is peace journalism in a nutshell? So um, peace journalism was a concept that was first hatched in the 1960s by a Norwegian academic, Dr. Johan Gautung, who's also the father of peace studies. I'm sure that your listeners are familiar with him. And so you know, it was originally designed as an antidote to poor war reports. Um, and since, it sort of expanded the definition as evolved and expanded. So by definition, peace journalism is when reporters and editors make choices that can create an atmosphere conducive to peace. Uh, Dr. Jake Lynch, one of the leading proponents of peace journalism, says that peace journalism gives societies a chance to value nonviolent responses to conflict. So back to the definition for a moment. Uh, when reporters and editors make choices that create an atmosphere conducive to peace, so what choices are we talking about? Well, one choice would be word choice. So are we using inflammatory language? Are we using demonizing language, victimizing language, um, and so on? So, for example, I've given seminars, as you mentioned, in, in many countries, and one of the most lively language discussions I had was in Lebanon over the use of the term martyr. And I suggested to them that I thought that that language was inflammatory, that it poured gasoline on the fire, uh, they respectfully disagreed. But that would be one example of language. Um, then another choice that journalists make is how we frame the story. So how do we tell the story? Do we tell it in such a way that it's sensational, that it highlights and glorifies the violence? Or instead, do we offer a more balanced, uh, neutral approach um, that instead of glorifying violence, gives a proportionate voice to peacemakers and peace advocates, uh, discusses, discusses solutions instead of just problems, and so on. Um, what peace journalism is not is open advocacy for peace. So we're not saying there must be peace, but we are saying we are giving that voice to peacemakers and letting then our listeners and viewers decide if they think that a nonviolent course is the best one. 
Also, peace journalism is not ignoring unpleasant news. So if something terrible happens, it has to be reported. We're journalists, and it's news. So then the question becomes not if we report it. The question becomes how do we report it? And those are the issues that are tackled by peace journalism. Very, very well put. I, I, I think we have a problem with, uh, with language and bias and, and, of course, with particular war promoting lies and demonization of desired enemies and so forth. But it seems like our biggest problem is silences. I, I, I mean, the U.S. public cannot remotely tell you what the federal budget looks like, what wars are now engaged in, where the U.S. has military bases, what percentage of of U.S. deaths uh, in U.S. wars are U.S. troops, what nation in the world provides the most weaponry to dictatorships around the, the globe, etc. I mean, not even remotely close. Uh, how do you how do you fix the the vast uh, ignorance uh, created by, uh, whether you want to call it standard journalism or war journalism. Right. Well, um, it, it, if I had a really good answer to that question, I'd be wearing a Nobel Prize around my neck. Um, I, I think that peace journalism is one element among many uh, that can form the foundation for a peaceful society. Uh, so certainly, uh, the the dearth of information that you talked about is definitely a problem, and journalism shares its uh, has a share of the blame for that. I think, of course, part of the blame for that too goes to our government, uh, goes to politicians, and so on. Um, and not just the dearth of information, which is important, but uh, the, the information that's collectively presented: a misinformation, disinformation, propaganda. It goes by many names. So I think you're entirely correct that the American, that most Americans don't really have an idea about any of those issues uh, that you talked about. Um, in my peace, Intro to Peace Studies class, one of the things we always talk about is the military budget and the military-industrial complex. And as students coming into that class, they just have no idea about any of that. And I think that those students reflect the general populace. I am afraid you are probably right. I would note that even Johann Galtung has no Nobel Peace Prize, and some people who do have been top warmongers in the world, so I, I can't guarantee you would have one if you figured everything out. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I, 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 think, I think Dr. Galtung has probably been uh, too blunt for the taste of, of many people, so I'm not holding my breath on that Nobel Peace Prize, not that he doesn't deserve <laughs> but but Henry Kissinger has been subtle and uh, and sophisticated, I guess. Um, oh goodness! <laughs> so so where is is peace studies? Uh, excuse me, peace journalism growing, uh, and where is it growing, and and what's happening in the field? So um, I I mean I think the short answer to that is yes, uh, that we've seen it offered uh, at a number of universities. Uh, there is no comprehensive comprehensive list that I know of uh, that, that, that says exactly uh, how many universities offer it and in what form. Uh, I list these in my textbook, Peace Journalism, Principles and Practices, uh, but I, I do think that it's, that it's gaining tra traction, uh, at least in academia. Uh, I do know that there's ongoing peace journalism training work 
uh, around the world. Uh, some of it conducted by me, some of it conducted by my colleagues, uh, probably some of it that I'm not even aware of. And these uh, projects are all detailed in the Peace Journalist magazine. So if your uh, listeners are interested in getting that, they can just go to the website for the Center for Global Peace Journalism and download a copy there. Uh, the website is uh, very simple, park, P-A-R-K dot E-D-U slash Peace Center. Peace Center is all one word, lowercase. So they can get uh, copies of the Peace Journalist there and um, see for themselves about some of the projects, some of the on- ongoing work. We're speaking with Stephen Youngblood, whose website, again, is park.edu slash center, and also his blog, stephenyoungblood.blogspot.com. Stephen, what's, uh, what's happening with, uh, with your magazine? What have you been reporting on? Well, the, uh, the most recent uh, edition of the magazine actually just came out last week, and um, reporting about a lot of very interesting things. The cover story is about... Um, an organization called the Refugee Online News uh, that is located in Uganda, um, talking about, uh, writing about, and giving a voice to uh, refugees and refugee journalists in Uganda. And there's a couple examples in the magazine from that. Um, Also in the current edition, there are stories about two recent peace journalism seminars that I gave uh, virtually. Uh, One for journalists in Yemen uh, that was organized by uh, a new a new group called the Peace Journalism Platform. Um, so that was certainly interesting, the, uh, uh, both doing it on Zoom and using a, uh, using a, a simultaneous translator was uh, a learning experience for myself and for the journalists. You know, but I really admired the Yemeni journalists for, uh, not just for attending the seminar, but for the work that they do in, in one of the world's most difficult environments. Then I also gave a peace journalism seminar uh, as part of a State Department project in Sudan. Uh, and we had 255 attendees. And as nearly as we can tell, I asked Jake Lynch about this too, I, I think that that's the largest peace journalism seminar ever. So over a three-day period, we talked about the basics of, of peace journalism, with journalists uh, who were situated in, I believe, 10 or 12 different locations scattered throughout Sudan. And again, that was a learning experience. So um, while, while I'll always prefer face-to-face over Zoom, I'll say this, that Zoom allowed us to reach, both in Sudan and Yemen, journalists who we, not, who we would have otherwise had a very difficult time reaching. Um, so, you know, the Zoom, the, the, the virus give us and the virus take us away. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, can, can peace journalism be pursued and promoted through the U.S. State Department, which also serves as a marketing arm of U.S. weapons companies and uh, often as an arm of, of the U.S. military? Well, um, what I would say is this, that, you know, my center, how would I put it? So, so what I would say is this, that, that the work of my center uh, needs uh, outside funding. So I, I don't have a huge budget. I have a tiny little budget. 
so instead of taking the sort of broad view that you take, and I, I, you know, we, we could discuss the validity of that, but, you know, instead of taking that broad view, I prefer to take a narrow view, and that is, so, so the funding that they give me, what projects are they supporting? And when they give me funding, they're supporting, um, they're supporting peace programming, they're supporting independent journalism, they're supporting free exchange of ideas. Uh, so while the State Department, like many uh, organizations, has many faces, um, you know, I, for the purposes of what we do, uh, I think that uh, they can be a positive force. And and presumably they don't slant your work. They don't discourage peace don't journalism. Yeah, they don't influence uh, what I do at all. And I've done a number of State Department projects. So so the direction I get will be uh, a peace journalism project in such and such a location, and I take over. So they do not influence me or influence my work, nor what I tolerate them. Uh, as uh, I assumed so, and very glad to hear it, you say it. Um, as bad as the, the State Department can be, uh, the U.S. corporate media uh, is often uh, a facilitator of war rather than of peace. Uh, can, can peace journalism make it into big corporate media outlets in the United States? Is there is there such a thing as lobbying, uh, working, public relations working of, of journalists for peace journalism and, and peace journalism media reform policy efforts? Right. Well, well certainly, this isn't something, if it could occur, that's going to occur tomorrow or next week or next year. Uh, as you say, the, the, the corporate corporate media, uh, the, the profit motive uh, in the United States would be the single biggest obstacle to the implementation of peace journalism. Um, so the, the best tactic, in my view, for getting peace journalism more in the, main, more in the mainstream media um, is to be patient and to work from the ground up. I think that students, that, that working with student journalists, teaching courses at universities is a really good way to get the ball rolling. Um, I think work through uh, public media, through the kind of independent uh, media outlets and community radio uh, that play this program, I think that that's um, another inroad that we can make. But we have to be realistic that that this is something that could take years, take decades. Uh, but those of us who are proponents of peace journalism uh, feel like it's an effort worth making. Do you do you work on promoting uh, sort of peace media consumption, peace media analysis? That is educating. Uh, students to understand what they're what they're reading and hearing and viewing right. in so, the media. So part of any any good peace journalism course, and certainly my peace journalism course that I'm teaching right now at Park University in the Kansas City area, part of any good peace journalism course is uh, is a course in media analysis 
and criticism and literacy. Um, so, and in fact, in every peace journalism seminar that I teach, we talk about first the elements of peace journalism, then I'll present them a rubric and evaluation tool, and we'll always evaluate media content for peace journalism. So I think that, that you're right, it's a two-pronged approach uh, from the uh, purveyors of media and from the consumers of media as well. Uh, in fact, I'm working on a project right now in the greater Kansas City area, a media literacy project uh, that's working with middle school, high school, community college, and university students on on being smarter media consumers. And I think that the, the more sophisticated that we are as media consumers, the more that we'll naturally gravitate towards peace journalism. So I think those two things go hand in hand. And and what uh, what upcoming projects have you got in the works? Um, well, I'm working on, uh, a, I, I guess my next project would be, I'm working on a project right now with the uh, East-West Center based in Honolulu uh, that will bring together journalists from India and Pakistan. Now, we were supposed to do this, do it this fall uh, in person in Kathmandu, Nepal. Uh, the first portion of the, of the course has been moved online. Uh, so in a couple of weeks, uh, I'll be meeting with uh, 80 Pakistani and Indian journalists uh, discussing some basics of peace journalism. And then others who are involved in the training will do uh, a different professional training sessions on uh, environmental rep- on subject matter reporting, like environmental reporting, uh, like um, uh, economic reporting. And then there will also be, as part of that project, a session on multimedia journalism. Um, we hope that that project will. Uh, we'll be able to meet in person maybe sometime in 2021. So that's our hope anyway. Oh, wonderful. Look forward to, to learning about that as it progresses. It parallels uh, our work at World Beyond War, where we're forming activist uh, chapters in both Pakistan and India. Um, how, how did you get into this field in the first place? Well, um, I, I, I wish that I could tell you that it was a, a lifelong goal and that I had, had laid out some intricate plans, but I would say it's actually serendipity. In 2007, I was on a Fulbright scholarship in Azerbaijan, and I got a call from uh, the embassy, and they said, would you like to do a peace journalism project in Georgia, neighboring Georgia? And I said, yes, of course, because I'd always wanted to go to Georgia. And they said, well, you know, can you do this? Can you handle it? I said, sure. I'm an expert on peace journalism. So I hung up the phone and Googled peace journalism. So that's literally how I got involved in peace journalism. And I taught that first seminar, and and it it really uh, took hold, not just with the participants, but with me as with my with me as well. Um, and that I really saw the benefit of this peace journalism approach. And I've been engaged in peace journalism projects ever since. And and at this point, I assume you have students, former students, who are engaged in peace journalism now. Um, so so yeah, you know, from the seminars and workshops, uh, especially we have 
you know, young journalists uh, around the world who are engaged in this kind of work. And it's interesting that uh, in, in most of the places where I've taught around the world, uh, that you can find a much bigger footprint for peace journalism than you could find uh, here in the U.S. Um, for the obvious reasons that we talked about earlier. Uh, I, you know, I wish that I had done a better job of keeping track, keeping count, uh, but there must be hundreds, if not you know, a thousand or more, uh, journalists uh, who I've trained or my colleagues and I have jointly trained uh, who practice peace journalism. That's amazing. Uh, in in watching U.S. politics, which is obsessing uh, most viewers of of U.S. news uh, in recent weeks and months and and almost endlessly, uh, you know, they have these things called debates, uh, which are sort <laughs> of bipartisan joint public appearances where they pretend to answer questions and interrupt and shout at each other. And, and, and they're asked virtually nothing about 96% of humanity. It's all sort of closed within U.S. borders. But, but the candidates voluntarily bring up how much they dislike, you know, one party dislikes Russia. Russia more and the other dislikes China more and they both want to lie about Iran and and they both love weapons and and troops and veterans and uh, how do you report on something that is you know what what little is in it is uh, is is very damaging and mostly it's 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 missing uh, what should be in it right well one of the uh, one of the, the basic principles of peace journalism and I might add good journalism is providing context so if I'm writing, for example, about last night's debate, um, you mentioned Iran. Uh, I think that, that I would uh, report what they said and then get some Iranian experts uh, to report uh, what the truth is. Um, same thing with, say, the trade war, right, with China. So, you know, you... you in these debates and from the politicians you get such a limited perspective and so it, it's important to 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 practice what's called slow journalism uh, to analyze what's being said <clears throat> to provide context and as always as a journalist talk about uh, solutions instead of just pointing out the conflict to talk about okay where we go where we go from here and what are some viable, non-violent solutions, particularly with relation to Iran? So regardless of who's in the Oval Office, there always seems to be constant saber-rattling against Iran. So how can we improve that discourse so that peacemakers have a voice and so that it's more solution-oriented? And that's something that peace journalism would seek to do. I, when you when you mentioned earlier, Stephen Youngblood, about uh, language and words and word choice, I'm reminded of how much I liked some columns that were done by a by a, a columnist at the Washington Post. It was a very strange thing for me to say uh, that you know reported on, for example, a, a fascist rally here in my town of Charlottesville, Virginia, a few summers back, and reported yeah. on other incidents in the United States using the language that 
that the Washington Post uses for the rest of the world. So substituting regime for administration, substituting ethnic group for, you know, such and such population and so forth. And it reads radically differently. It's no more accurate or inaccurate, uh, but it sounds compl- It sounds a thousand times worse. Uh, so I save that and I pass it out to my students. Yeah. So all my students read that. And, and it's, it's, you know, the lenses that we use as journalists, it, it's, a, it's a reminder of, about the, what is generally the, the condescending way that we cover the rest of the world. Um, and, and, and more generally than condescending, I would say that, we, that corporate media especially simply ignores the rest of the world. Um, and I, I, so unless a story, for example, from Africa fits into a handful of narratives, uh, poverty, war, disease, famine, unless it fits into those narratives, it's simply not going to get reported. Um, so that's something else in teaching uh, my, my students here in the U.S. and at workshops here in the U.S., just how little uh, we all know about, about the world outside the United States, except for uh, the sort of cliches that we've been fed uh, by politicians and by corporate media. So again, peace journalism would look to provide context, provide depth, uh, provide nuance. Uh, so as I always tell my students, um, corporate media, uh, traditional media is very good, uh, not very good, but traditionally presents stories as black and white, good versus bad, us versus them. And the real world, it turns out, is a much more nuanced so if my students get nothing else from me, it's the knowledge that most of the world is that gray area in between. I couldn't agree more. Extremely important point for them to grasp. And then the, and the both sides journalism leaves out eight other sides. Uh, what, it, exactly. I, I, want, I want to ask you, Stephen Youngblood, a question that, that people always ask me, and I, I think I do an okay job of answering it, but I'd love to, to hear your answer. And that is, what, what sources do you turn to for journalism? Where do you go to get your, your news? Well, I, I think that it's, and, and I share this with my students, students um, especially in these uh, polarized times, I just think it's absolutely essential that we break out of our ideological bubble. Um, so whichever side of the political spectrum you land on, I think it's vitally important to consume media from across the political spectrum. I think it's vitally important to consume uh, media uh, that is is not driven by a profit motive. Um, so I'm a big NPR fan. I'm uh, a, a big uh, BBC fan. I think The Guardian is excellent. Um, uh, certainly uh, Amy Goodman's work is notable. Um but mostly, I tell my students, you know, that, that they have to construct their own reality, that they're not going to get um, everything that they need from one or even several sources, and that they need to piece together, uh, that they need to consume a variety of sources, and in this way, piece together a reality. 
Very, very well said. Um, I'm not sure I'd call myself an NPR fan, but you can find some good things in it. Uh, we've been speaking with Stephen Youngblood. He is the founding director of the Center for Global Peace Journalism at Park University. Go to park.edu slash peacecenter or stephenyoungblood.blogspot.com. Stephen, thank you very, very much for what you're doing and for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talknationradio.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is supported by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.